Our scripture today comes uh, from two books of the Bible. It comes, our first two texts come from the book of Psalms, and then we'll have a passage from the Gospel of Mark. Our first text is from Psalm chapter 24, reading verses 1 and 2. And it reads this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And then Psalm 25 reads this, In you, Lord... My God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will be put to shame ever, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. And then the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 29 through 34. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. It's the reading of our scripture this morning. We give thanks to God for it. Will you join me in prayer for our pastor as he comes to bring us the interpretation? Lord God, we are thankful that you give us all good things in this life and in your word that we would have everything we need for life and salvation. Lord God, as we come to this point in our worship service today where your word is interpreted to us, God, we pray that your servant, Pastor Mike, would deliver your words to us faithfully, God. And we pray that our ears would be open and that our hearts would be ready to respond what the Holy Spirit would say to this church through Pastor Mike. Lord, bless him and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Good morning. So glad to be with you on this uh, day when... Uh, Farmers are getting a little break from the harvest, and our uh, grass is getting a little bit of life stuffed back into it, so it's great to have you here on a rainy, uh, rainy morning. Um, I, I take pause before I go into the teaching this morning to, to tell you this. I have been privileged uh, to meet a lot of youth and children and uh, adults in this congregation uh, through my time, and, and I make uh, that statement to tell you this. It's important for us to celebrate um, when one of our uh, children or youth has, has a big accomplishment among us. And we try to do that. Of course, we don't get them all because we don't hear all the words. But I do want to celebrate one, one student that's with us today. Um, because, and the reason I want to celebrate her is because I know that she's very pretty on the outside and she's prettier on the inside. So homecoming queen, Beth Knapp, will you please stand up? She's a homecoming queen of Marion High School. So yay, yay, Beth. She is a model that can uh, lead many of our young people, so I, I encourage you uh, to get to know her if you don't. I want to talk about something 
that one of my friends once said, this subject is absolutely taboo. It is taboo to talk about this subject in your church. He said, as a matter of fact, when I go in front of my church, they would rather have me tell a bunch of raunchy jokes or make innuendos than talk about this subject because they feel it's absolutely taboo. They don't want to hear about it. It scares them. And I will say to you that to not talk about this subject within the context of Christian worship is unchristian and not righteous. Why? Because Jesus talks about this subject five times more than he talks about prayer. He teaches people five times more times. I mean, when you read the pages of the, of the Gospels, there's five times more ink spent on Jesus telling people how to deal with this issue and their own issues with it than he does teaching about prayer. Why? Because he cares about us and knows that we care about it. So what's so taboo to talk about? Simple. Money. We all have it. Jesus knows we have it. And some of us even love it. One thing's for sure. We care about our money. And because the Lord cares about us, we need to speak about it. Now some resist. I can remember in the church I served, the richest man in town went to my congregation. He was the richest. He would always talk to me about how he lived every day so that he might have the finest things in life, so that he could go to any restaurant, anything in the world, and order the most expensive thing and not feel bad, so that he could have a house, and he could have another house, and he could have another house, and he could have cars and all this kind of stuff, and he was consumed by it. So I tell you this story to get to that. He would always tell me that that's what he pursued, and one day I was coming in, it was this day, and he looked at the bulletin. He was standing in the back in what we called the narthex there and here, the kind of gathering room. He looked at it and said, oh, so it's the money sermon today, huh, Mike? I said, yeah. He said, don't need it. See ya. Walked out. Now, he was wrong. He was wrong, and I'll get to that in a minute. But money was important to him. But yet he didn't want to talk about it within this context. Why would that be? You see, the honest, simple truth of the matter is that money matters to us. It has an intimate place in our hearts. And a lot of our life decisions are related to it. I can't tell you the number of couples I've talked to as they were building this relationship and said, well, Pastor, we'd like to get married soon, but we just don't have enough money. We don't have enough money yet. And I can't tell you how many young couples, and pray you've talked to young couples too, that have been married for a little while, and they'll say, well, we'd like to have some children but we don't have enough money yet. So dads, moms, have you ever yet had enough money to have these people? I mean, I thought we waited till we had enough money, and I was so incredibly wrong about that, but it's still important to us. And of course, anyone that you've ever known that's thinking about making a career move or some sort of career decision, one of the last or first details they will say is, how much money do I get paid for this? Is the money right? Or is the money enough to cause us to move there and sell our houses and all that sort of, sort of thing? Money matters to us. It's at an intimate place in our heart and our relationship, not only with ourselves, but with our family and all those around it. So would we not be unchristian? 
Would we not be bad followers of Christ if we did not talk about our money, my money, and your money here? See, we talk about money a lot outside of here because it speaks to our personal worth. I mean, there's two ways of looking at personal worth. I mean, maybe there's more than that, but I only see two. One is to look at how much stuff you got. You know, the extent of your personal assets. How much do you own? How much do you have? How much have you accumulated? How much stuff do you got? I was at a meeting earlier this week where one of the guys, it's a very wealthy guy, and he said to me, you know, my portfolio with this market crash, I lost $3 million of my net worth. I'm like, well, I didn't. (laughs) And I went on to tell him that he hadn't lost that much value in my eyes either. But you understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes we measure that, and, and we will say, and about my friend Steve, it said right in his obituary, that when he died, he was worth $7 million. Now, there were about 45 people at his funeral, which would indicate to me, in reality, when he died, and be cautious here, I know where I'm walking. When he died, he wasn't worth that much because he hadn't lived a life that was worth that much. One of my friends coined a term here that that I've applied to to him later is he was one of the most significant, insignificant people I've ever met because he had a lot of things, but he shared it with no one. He gave to no thing and nothing. So unfortunately, when he died, he was worth only himself. So let's be careful when we put our personal assets as the main contributor to what we might be worth. But there's a second way of looking at personal worth that I think is more valuable to us because it reaches, of course, beyond our finances. Our personal worth comes from what the owner says we're worth. Okay, follow me. The owner oftentimes of anything determines value. I have a used car out there in the lot. To me, it's worth the number of dollars I paid for it. Now, if some of you were carrying around an app or had the little Kelly Blue Book in your pocket, you would say, no, Mike, a 2005 Toyota Corolla is not worth that much. It's worth this much. I said, well, that might be what it is to you, but that's how much it's worth to me. It's worth more than that to me because that's how much I paid for it, and I haven't forgotten that, right? Okay? So that's how much it's worth, even though I couldn't get that much money on it, but I've established the worth on it because it's the car I have for now. That's what I have. So you really want to get to the rudimentary level on this? Ask a pet owner what they're worth, what their pet's worth, okay? I have a friend that put over $3,000 into a cat. True story. They determined that that was the value of the cat, and I was sitting in a group with five or six men one night, and they didn't all agree on the value of that pet. One of them even mentioned that, well, why did you do that? A bullet's only worth a penny and a half. Now, that was the value that someone else put on that pet, not that the owner put on the pet, because the owner had already said, this is how much the pet is valued. Now, if we go beyond that, go, go beyond kind of the, 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 the things in our, in our lives, we have to say, well, then who owns the world? Who owns the world? Who puts, I mean, we live in the world, so who owns this? Who, who puts value on things? Is it the corporations? I mean, I mean, is it Enron? Did they put the value on the world? Is it, is it Studebaker that came and went? Is it, if it's not corporations, is it governments? Because if it's governments, aren't the Incas running this place? No, they came and went. The Babylonians came and went. Roman Empire 
came in. So it can be, if, it, if it's not the corporations, it's not the, then maybe it's people. Is it Carnegie? Is it Rockefeller? Is it Jobs? But they've all come and went. So even though they might have brought value to the world at one particular thing, they weren't what gave the world value. Look at Psalm 24, verse 1. That shows you what gives value. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything. Everything and everyone belong to the Lord. He is the owner of all things. For the person of faith, this is a central fact, a central fact of our reality, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God has founded and established the world. Therefore, it is his. He is owner-operator. This is what Christians believe. We believe that to simply be true. You see, our, our value is stamped on us by the one who owns us. Now, a couple years ago at, uh, at uh, Fun Philanthropic February, some of you might remember that we did a takeoff on Pawn Stars. Some of you watch that show on History Channel, Pawn Stars. Well, in this one episode of Pawn Stars, not too long ago, a beat-up, cranky old violin was brought in to Rick. And he wanted to know the value of it. And he looked through the little hole. And I asked earlier today at the 745 service, what are the, what's the little holes on a, volunteer, a violin called? Okay, little holes on violin then. Okay, all right. Because we didn't know. But there were no strings on this violin. There was none of that little thing that sticks up. And, but Rick got his little, you know, jewelry eyepiece and a, and, a, and a flashlight. And he looks in there. And all he can say, see in there is a stamp that says Stradivarius. So he's awesome. He, I mean, this, this person had, you know, ripped this out of their grandpa's attic or something like that. And so Rick says, this is awesome. It's a Stradivarius. It's, it's very valuable. And, and he's thinking, the guy doesn't know what it is. He says, yeah, I think it's worth a couple hundred bucks. And Rick's saying, man, I can make this for a couple hundred bucks into several million. So he says, well, but before I spend that, I'm bringing in an expert. So he brought in an expert, and the expert also looked through that hole in the violin, whatever it's called. I'm going to get that for the day. I, there is a fancy musical name for that hole. All right. What is it? The F's hole. All right, see, Mrs. Beach. Amen. Hey, give it a Props to Mrs. Beach. All right, thank you. So he's looking through that, and, and the expert says, you're right, Rick. It says Stradivarius in it. However, so do thousands of other violins. This violin is a copy. It's a replica of a Stradivarius, so it is not stamped or authenticated by the master. And because it's not built by the master, of course, Rick says, then what's it worth? And he said, not the space it will take in your dumpster. The dream. Because it wasn't stamped and given its value by the master. Let me tell you, this is just true about humanity. We are completely built. We are completely authenticated. And we are completely stamped by the master of the universe. He made us, he owns everything and everyone, and our value comes from him. So our worth, when someone says, what are you worth? You say, I am a precious child of God of infinite value and worth because I am stamped and authenticated by the master. That's what you're worth. That's what you're worth. And the key then is, can we live into it? Can we live into that? So let's look at Psalm 25, verse 1. The second thing that Pastor Keith read for a minute. It says this, In you, 
Look where it says, in you, O Lord, our God, I put my trust. That is a way of saying, I completely, we completely depend on you, O God. Now, I want to go into the completely unrehearsed and unready for this. Drew Martin, come on up here. I need you. You're my example. Give Drew a hand. He's one of our confirmation students. He's freaking out right now. I want you to stand right here. I promise not to embarrass you. He's standing right here, not knowing what his pastor's going to do. He's totally afraid. He wished he'd been sick this morning, but here he is. I wanna, I'm going to use Drew as a, as a visual aid for you. Now, Drew, I just want you to raise both your hands up over above your head. Okay, way up high. I want you to open your hands like that. Okay, now, we have seen... Keep him there. You strong enough to do that? I knew you would. All right. We have seen people pray and praise like this. Have you ever seen this? Okay, and you've had a lot of people explain why a person would pray or praise like this. Let me tell you, in our Judeo-Christian experience, where that actually comes from. <laughs> Baby just had gas. It was pretty funny uh, up here. <laughs> we baptize into a family, and that's what happens into the family. All right. He's holding your strength together. Okay. So here's, you know, Drew's got his arms up above his head. And in the Judeo-Christian tradition, this is the position an Israeli takes in prayer. They put their hands up for two reasons. They lift their hands held high towards God for two reasons. Here's the first one. Drew, and though I won't do it, he's completely entirely defenseless, isn't it? I mean, this is the worst possible way to defend yourself. So if an enemy came up with a sword, he could totally not defend himself. That's what you make a prisoner do, right? Put your hands up. Why? Because you can't do anything. I mean, if you do, you're on true TV going like this, trying to fight, right? Okay? But, but you, Drew is completely and totally defenseless. He is also completely dependent in this position. So, so in the, when you pray like that, when the Israelis pray like that, first, they say, Lord, I, I depend on you for, I, I give all my defense to you. I, I make myself defenseless and dependent. Is this not the same position that I see almost every day at Caring Corner of little children who are walking out towards SUVs and they need to get in them? They put their hands up like this so a parent can scoop them up and put them in the, in the chair? That is a completely dependent position. And because God values us, we're willing to make ourselves defenseless and dependent because we know that the Lord will help us through our trials and difficulties, and in him we can place our trust. Give Drew a hand. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well done. See, and dependence then leads to gratitude. There was a guy that had made $4 billion. That's a lot even on today's terms. And he came out of this little small country church. 30 years earlier, he had grown up in that country church, and he came home to visit his aged mother. She always sat in the second row, and so they were sitting there, and it was Money Sunday at the church that day. I mean, if I had a congregant came home that made $4, million, $4 billion, I don't know what else we were planning to do, but that'd be Money Sunday right there, Keith, all right? And we'd be talking about tithing, because a tithe or that would really help. I'm just saying. Anyway, but it, that, I don't know if that was the point, but the pastor was preaching, and it was talking about people giving their gifts, and in the middle of it, at the end, at, towards the end of the service, this, this billionaire raised his hand and said, Pastor... I came out of this church, and you probably don't know me, but I'm from here, but I'd like to just give a word of testimony. Come on up. The man came up and said, you know, when I was in my early 20s, my businesses were faltering and failing. I had no real asset. I had $100 to my name, and I came to this church, 
And this church prayed for me, and the pastor spoke how if we give our gifts that, that, to God, that, that God will just absolutely help us and bless us, and that we'll be strengthened through the giving of our gifts. And he says, you know what? I had $100 to my name that day. When the offering plate came down, I put it in there. And you know what happened after that day, folks? When I left here, business started clicking. I started being able to accumulate things. And now I have over $4 billion to my name because I was willing to depend on God for it and give everything I had to him. And so I encourage you to do the same. Of course, people cheered because, you know, he'd come home to the place he'd come. He went back and sat down by his mother. And his mother, who was a very faithful person, was sitting beside him. And as he sat down to kind of drink in kind of the accolade of speaking in his own congregation, she whispered into his ear, Johnny, I dare you do it again. (laughs) Think about that. What he does next, whatever he does next, is a statement of the facts of his life. And whatever we do next is a statement of the facts of our lives, too. See, a few moments ago, we, re- we read Mark uh, 12, 29 through, through 34. And it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And we always focus, when we read that, on strength, soul, mind. But the key word is all. The challenge is in all. You know, because it really doesn't matter what's after that. Once you say, love your God with all, that's everything. There's no thing that I have in my life that is beyond all. And the challenge is, will we love God with our all? With our soul, strength, mind, time, talents, treasure, make the list. The question is, and the challenge is, will you love God with all? You see, our giving state is a statement of our facts. Think about that. Our giving to God or things that represent his kingdom is a statement of our facts. When we give or don't give, that's a decision. It's a decision that God is or is not the owner, operator, and creator of the world. We're making a decision. God either is that, we either believe in that, either God created the world or we did not. Either we need to be grateful for that or we do not. We make a simple decision. And so our giving is a statement of that fact, that God is or is not the owner, operator, creator of the world. It is also a decision through our giving whether we shall be loyal to God with our money or whether we shall not be. You see, our witness to who God is in our life is directly related. I I don't think this connection can be broken. I truly don't. Our, our, relate, our witness to God in our lives is directly related to how much of what we have we give to the growth and the building of the kingdom of God. Now, I grew up in this church sitting in one of these pews right over here. And I tell you this story, A, because I'm very proud of it, and secondly, because it's true. And you need to hear it. Some of you in this congregation still remember my father. He passed away in 2006, and in my opinion, greatest man ever lived. But... When I was sitting there as a junior high person, I'm sitting right there in the pews, and you know you're a junior high person not yet elevated to confirmation status, what are you doing in church? Trying not to hit your brother. Trying to not look too obviously bored to the pastors because in a lot of ways you are bored and you're trying to, you know, and trying to hide the, you know, the pictures of guns and tanks you're drawing on the offering envelope because you know somehow that's bad in church, right? But you're just trying to stay alert, but... When those offering plates come in, there was always kind of a little rugby scrum in our pew as to who could hand the check in. You know, Sherry was little. We could always get over her. That was easy. 
But Mark and I, and of course, then at a certain point, Mark got, you know, he's, you know, he's in eighth grade. He's too cool for that. So I remember one day, my dad gave the check, and it was always folded down the middle. I don't know why. That was just the way he did it. And when the offering plate was going on, I did one of these things. I, you know, it came by, and I did. I looked at it, and I was like, whoa. I mean, I gulped. I put that in there, and I went home, and I literally said this. Now, this was in the 70s. I said, Dad, where did you get $200? Where did you get that much money? How can you give that much money to the church? We only have one car. How did you get? He says, Mike, you can do simple math. Your mother and I give 10% of what we make. Figure it out yourself. That's what it matters. Now, not everybody can do that. Not everybody maybe should do that. But I got to tell you that middle class people with only one car and a one car garage could give 10% of their income. Because that, in that, in the case of my father, who was a teacher and principal, not a preacher, but he had some spiritual giantness to him. But that is how much God and the life of the church meant to him. His witness to God, and even though he was a little bit perturbed that I found out what it was, it directly related to him, to his life, because what he had, he was willing to give. And I ask the same of you. And I antidotally will say you, on the other side of this, I have heard more times than a few, not just here, elsewhere, people will come to me and say, Pastor, I know it's the time where we're collecting pledges and all that kind of stuff, but I, I love God. I really do. I love God. I worship Him. I read the Bible and I love being in the church, but I just can't give of my money. I just can't give. And I have some concerns with that, not only because of my own background, but I think of it as a little bit of compartmentalized thinking. You ever heard this statement? What happens in Vegas? Okay, so you've heard of it. Okay, so that's not just me that's heard that. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Do you know what a crock that is? Riddle me this. So you're a fantastic golfer. You go out and play a week at Vegas, and and you snap off on a 203-yard hole, a hole-in-one. You ain't telling anybody when you get home, are you? Right? Or or you pull one of those machines, and all of a sudden you get paid out $50,000. You're coming home. You're not telling anybody, are you? Because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? (laughs) The camera's everywhere. That's right. Um, If you... Well, I'll tell you what, your Visa card folks are not going to let it stay in Vegas. They want it right out of your checking account here, right? But that's compartmentalized thinking. If we can say that this part of our life is separate from that part of the life, and I use, you know, a public advertising campaign to say, you cannot separate this part of your life from this part of your life because it all works together. There's many images in our lives that the body works together. There's, there's images in our life that the community works together. What happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas, and what happens in your wallet or your bank account cannot be just compartmentalized. See, we live in one unified life, and all the parts come together. And oftentimes, when people say this, and of course there's always people, see, don't be harmed by this if you're a person that truly can't give, because I'm not talking about you. There's always a few people that are in economic situations that truly, and I mean truly, truly can't give. That means they have the amount of money, as Woody Harrelson used to say, if you took all the money in the world and threw it away, that's how much money they have. And if you have that, then I understand that. But 
most of us hear a talk like this and say, I can't give, really means, hear me, it really means I'm paying on so many things. I have made all these decisions for myself. There is nothing left over to give to the kingdom of God. And the only question I would have from that is, do you want leftovers from God? Did God just give you leftovers in your life, in your heart, in your soul? Is that all you got from God was, was leftovers? See, we can't ever repay God, but we can give gifts to God that represent our gratitude and dependence. A Christian offers their gifts, not because God's short on cash, not because the, the, the church is in some great crisis, and certainly not because we all saw the church budget and say, wow, that's so awesome, I want to give to that. We don't give our gifts to God because of that. We give our, a Christian offers their gifts to God because we desire to come into a deeper communion with God by giving what means a lot to us to him. It's not going to rescue the thing. It's going to be a deeper communion for us. We want to represent ourselves to God in exciting ways. Because I'll speak for everybody up here on this stage, and I hope a lot of you, that we have an exciting ministry going on here, and we have an exciting life going on here. And you and I have the opportunity to give to it, to give our resources to it, to, to, to pledge through our energy, our prayers, and our service it to God. And we have one generation in which to do it. I'm only going to live during this period of time. You're only going to live in this period of time. And you are worth what God says you're worth. And I admonish you not to leave the work to which you are called left undone or be done by your leftovers. Now in a few weeks, you're going to receive a pledge card in the church, in the mail. If you don't get one, we're we're sorry. We want you to have one. And if you're a visitor with us, this is something we do. We don't want to, you know, harm you or say that you have to do that. But don't set it aside and don't leave it to the last minute. You know, pastors are good at always saying, now prayerfully consider that. And that is because we are encouraging you and asking you to prayerfully consider giving gifts that represent you and what you have to God. Would you pray? Lord God, we ask your blessing on this worship service. We give ask your blessing on all that we have so that we might be open, Lord, to giving those things that represent us to you in your offerings. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, my name is Lori Mortensen. I love the Lord and FUMC Marion. One FUMC ministry that is dear to my heart are the Bible studies offered. The first study I participated in was in 1997, and I've been hooked ever since. I've studied the Disciple Series, my husband has done men's fraternity, and together we were students in Pastor Mike's Bible studies. Through these studies, we have learned so much about the Word of God and have come to rely on it daily. Just as Psalm 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. I am so grateful for all the ministries here at FUMC. Part of my worship is giving gifts that I believe represent us in offering. I ask you now to join me in worshiping God in this way. Will the ushers please come forward? <laughs> 